There are days that define your story beyond your life. Welcome to 5-Minute Arrival. The podcast where we look at the film Arrival five minutes at a time. I'm Robert. I'm Sarah. Any questions? Where they want, where they from, why they here. This is a priority. Our priority today is minutes 46 through 50, which involve Louise and Ian taking some clothes off and getting closer to each other and to the aliens. That's a really good opening. <laughs> <laughs> Intro for this segment. And we have a guest from 5 Minutes of Mystery and Groundhog Minute, Dave Palace. Hi, Rob, Sarah, great to be here. I'm excited to talk about this movie. I just popped the Blu-ray in last night to get it to warm up to watch the whole thing again. I had a nice emotional breakdown, so I know we're in for <laughs> we're in for a nice recording. Awesome. Yeah. And it's cool that we have the Groundhog Day Minute guest to record on Groundhog Day. Yes, even we are recording on, fe- <laughs> it won't be out for a few weeks, but we're yeah. recording on February 2nd. Yeah, it's like, all right, we dated the recording, but it, it's fine. Hey, I had a great day. Everyone's posted Groundhog Day jokes. I was like, all right, mm-hmm. we're having fun. We're in the house, but we're having fun. Yep. So have you watched or are you planning to watch Groundhog Day today? I'm probably going to watch it a little bit later this this week or weekend. I mean, it's like it's one of those things where it's like I've seen it so many times. Like I don't, I don't need to watch it on the holiday. But I've, but it is like it's crazy. I've watched so many clips today of people like either reacting to it or talking about it. I'm like, yeah, I did. Like it's like it's like yeah, I'm, I, this is all fresh. This is all. Like, I, I covered all this with Sean. This is great. I, you know, it's it's not like oh, what an interesting you know what an interesting thing I never thought about. Now either Sean, Rob, or I have gone over most of those topics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's it's like I'm not I'm not bored with it. I'm excited. That, like someone else is like recognizing you know some little thing, some little you know, quirk in the town. So I'm happy. But with, with, with Arrival. I, I want to tell you this. So I'm watching the whole film last night, and I think it's so funny is that I did not even look that these were the minutes I had. You know, Rob's like, all right, here's 46 or 50. I'm like, oh, okay. I'll check that. I'll watch the movie, then I'll come back to these minutes later. Yeah. So I watched the movie, and it's so funny. This is the this is the first of, I think, six or seven times I paused the movie last night. Huh. Because it would, like, I, you know, some scene would get me. Because this is, like, my third time, I think, watching it, and, like, I think I saw the second time with my parents, and they're all and they're asking questions the whole time. What's going on? What are the aliens? Like, oh yeah. <laughs> so they're doing that. So I had to explain it to them. My first time I was in the theater, so I was like, oh wow, oh wow. This third time, I'm like, all right, just me. I'm I, I know the plot. Let me watch it and see what I, there's any new things I can bring to Rob. And this moment, I think, was the most interesting part. Was she takes her suit off, and they're all confused. And one of the lines you hear of the radio is "standby for frag order," and. I kind of was like, holy crap, like, they just hinted over Radio Channel, if given the order, they're going to shoot her and Ian, like, in this room. Like, frag is, like, to mean, like, is, like, is, is purposely friendly fire. Possibly, yeah. That was a line I wasn't actually sure what they said before orders. I had subtitles on because I was okay. like, you know, we're, could, we, I was, when I was doing a movie, I always watched the subtitles because there's like, yeah. in case they say something different. Yeah. And so that's, that line came over the radio. It's just radio. It just says, you know, and it's just from command. It's like, stand by for frag order. And it's not Forrest Whitaker says, it's someone else. But it's just like the fact that like, that was a protocol there that like, if they feel like something was happening, they're going to shoot her in the room. And what makes me laugh is it's, it, you know, there's no reaction to it. But we get to later in the movie when you're talking about the Russian transmission and clearly someone shoots the Russian expert on radio. And they're like, they just shot one of their experts. I'm like, you kind of broadcasted over radio that you guys were in a position, if need to, to do it to Louise and Ian, like right then and there. Yeah. Either shoot her or shoot the ship or something. Cause... Would Louise have recognized that or heard it? No. 
Probably, Probably not, and she she's not paying attention to them. To yeah, <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she, yeah, she's, 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 she's focused on uh, Abbott and Costello right now. Yeah, yeah. But like, all right, so I'm trying to figure out because I, I, one scene I kind of earlier, so it's probably around your minute thirty five or something when they're describing the atmosphere of the ship. They say something about you have like two hours of air, and then you get like eighteen hours to get the air back because the ship has its own atmosphere. What was I missed it because like that's what I was we're all curious about. Is she takes her helmet off. We're like, oh god, is she going to have a problem breathing? They have 112 minutes. I think the Australia, the UK guy just said this again last segment. They have 112 minutes that they can be in there and they can breathe, and then the ship kind of slides them back out. Oh, okay. And then 18 hours later, it opens up again. Okay. For whatever reason, they their theory is it's because they're pumping atmosphere in and out to like pressurize the ship or whatever. I think. Okay, well, here, let's take that. I think it's that, and maybe you could dovetail that into a later episode. I think, now that we're talking about that, I think it's it's purposely the aliens are forcing them out. Like, okay, we gave you enough information. Now go back and figure out what, like... Because all these ships are cl- talking to each other. They're all trying to give a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. They're probably going, okay, we gave you enough. Can you go back and now talk with the other humans? Like, figure it out now. You know, we're trying to get you, get, get you up to speed. What's going on here? I actually just came up with a new theory, as you said that, because... I'm remembering in the original story, the aliens don't come down to Earth. They stay in their ship, and then they kind of appear to the people in these little spheres that land on the ground. What if these two aliens are talking to everybody? And so every 112 minutes, they reset so that they can shift over to a different ship and communicate with those. Because there's not quite enough time in 112 minutes, but a couple of ships are out in the ocean, so they might not have any people. So like two hours times 12 Ships equals 24 hours. Well, yeah, but it's 18 when they come back. But they might be skipping a few. They might have not planned to land in the Indian Ocean. and So no one's on that ship. And maybe there's too much fighting around the Shanghai one, so people aren't in there all the time. I mean, honestly, these aliens, the way they perceive time, they could do a little timey-wimey and, like, you know, what we're perceiving as, like, them being there in the ship. You're right. They could just be hopping back and forth or finding ways to communicate with other people at the same time in other different ways. Depending on how that works, yeah, if it's just their experience or some manipulation they can actually do. Yeah, I mean, like, think about how the ships disappear at the end. They just kind of go up in the cloud. They're just like, yeah. there's, there's yeah. no big presentation. It goes, boom, okay, we're gone. Okay. Which fits with the idea that they aren't actual ships, but there's something the aliens put down for us to be able to interact with them. Yeah, it's def- yeah definitely. I mean, it- Although Abbott is there in order to die in the explosion. Yeah. So it's both. You know, it's funny is that, yeah, Abbott... Yeah, Abbott knew. You know, that's another thing. Like Abbott knew it was going to happen at some point, uh-huh. but it's just they had. That's how their time and time works. It's just you gotta you gotta go with it, even though you know. God, it's such a it's such a this is such an interesting film. It's like I think one of the reasons I got so emotional at the end was like how positive it was toward humanity. Yeah. Where it's like these aliens come down. They don't. They're not destructive. They're not violent. And their whole point is they need to kickstart us. Because they're going to need our help. I think that's so interesting is that aliens need our help down the line. So they need to kickstart us to get us to then, at some point in the future, 3,000 years from now, we're going to show up at their door and say, 3,000 years ago when you guys asked for help, we answered the call. And here we are with our cool space fleet or something. Yeah, I think interconnectedness and connection are huge themes in the film. And I don't know, made me think of... Think of, like, the Tower of Babel. Mm. Oh, yeah. There were other versions, right? You know, the idea that it was a negative or a punishment that we were all speaking different languages Mm. and unable to communicate with each other. And it was also 12... Well, I mean, 12 as a number comes up. (laughs) 
yeah. biblically and a ton of different the 12 references. tribes. And yeah. Things, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, just the idea of interconnectedness, like all of the 12 areas here on earth, but also the like everything is just connected to everything else. Everything is, is part of one thing. So mm-hmm. whatever you do affects something else. Yeah. Marks says, Dr. Banks, the leaves removes her hood and says, it's okay. They need Weber interrupts. That's what's going on. And, uh, Mark says, hey, what are you doing? And Louise says, yeah, I'm fine. They need to see me. Marks asks her if she's insane. Marks tells everyone what's going on. We see Halpern and the others are all paying attention and watching the video feed. As he says, she's taking off her hazmat suit. Dr. Banks, Mark says, is it okay? Weber says, you're risking contamination. And Louise says, they need to see me. And when she says they need to see me, that brought us to... The communication concepts for today, <laughs> yeah, I have some in every episode. So today it's social penetration theory and nonverbal communication. So a little background for listeners who might not be familiar with social penetration theory and communication it states that relationships develop through self-disclosure, like peeling back the layers of an onion. For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Example? Example? Okay, um... Ogres are like onions. They stink? Yes. No. Oh, they make you cry? No. Oh, you leave them out in the sun, they get all brown, start sprouting little white hairs. No. Layers. Onions have layers. Ogres have layers. Onions have layers? You get it. We both have layers. (sighs) Oh, you both have layers. Oh. You know, not everybody like onions. Cake! Everybody loves cakes. Cakes have layers. I don't care what everyone likes. Ogres are not like cakes. You know what else everybody likes? Parfait. Have you ever met a person you say, hey, let's get some parfait. They say, hell no, I don't like no parfait. Parfaits are delicious. No! You dense, irritating, miniature beast of burden. Ogres are like onions. End of story. Bye-bye. See you later. With her taking off her suit and essentially peeling back the layers, we see her attempting to bond with the aliens, but this is also where she's first bonding with Ian, except for those little looks that they've given each other in the film Mm -hmm. beforehand. Well, mostly him to her, but he follows her lead in vulnerability by removing his own suit. So we see communication and openness aspects in their manner and ease of speaking, honestly and frankly. He's also showing here because they were kind of opposed, right? Yeah. He was like the science guy and that he's was like the language up, yeah. guy. It was set up like that. But here for the first time, he's showing that he trusts and values her experience and her expertise as a linguist. And Louise is a good linguist because she understands that nonverbal communication is about 80% of how we communicate. So it's so much more than just the visual language or mm-hmm. the construct of the sentence, which was in the prior five minutes. It's also kinesic, so body movement, like the deliberate placing of her hand on the glass. Proxemics, she gets much closer to them in this scene. Mm-hmm. She approaches them. She's also closer to Ian, Ian and, yeah. yeah, in this scene. Her posture, her stance is more open. She's more confident and warm with them as opposed to being fearful earlier on. She's making eye contact or as much as she can. Her face is open to uh-huh. them. And touch. Oh, yeah, she looks directly at them. Even exactly. At them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then touch. Again, she's approximating this by putting her hand on the glass. 
I like that we're going not just from like language or constructs of sentences to nonverbal communication yeah. to get closer to them. When, when you were talking about Louise and language, I mean, I don't knowing Rob, he's probably, you probably already brought this up, but did did, did you mention? <laughs> I, I, if you already mentioned, we can move past it. But did you mention the helicopter radio trick like earlier in the movie that proved Louise's point? Yes. Okay. I think I even mentioned you by name because I had just <laughs> talked to you about it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, I, some some essay like two years ago mentioned it. And I thought I was like, damn, that's such a good point. It's like he's talking, she can't hear. It. What do they do? You gotta get the radio. You that's it's not it's not science. It's the damn communicate language. You gotta talk first <laughs> before you talk about math. Yep. And, and 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 it's funny because I was I was talking to my, a friend about this who like he didn't really get into this movie and I asked I said, just like curiosity, like just like curiosity. I was like, were you did you watch like Close Encounters of the Third Kind? He says, honestly, I fell asleep doing. I said, okay, fine, all right, fine. <laughs> it's it's not it's the, the, these types of films are not your bag. Fine, it's fine, right? Because that's the one downside of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We don't get to like get any perspective on the government. It's only from our like our main our Richard Dreyfus character yeah. who then climbs the top of the mountain. By the end, he gets there. They're like, okay, what we got? I don't know, lights and sound. Beep, boop, bop, beep, boop, bop. And then in this movie, the CIA guy makes fun of that. Great, congratulations, you're a parent. Yeah. It's like they didn't make any progress. And then those aliens in that film just take Richard Dreyfus and leave. And the government's saying, like, we didn't gain any information from that. Nope. We didn't gain shit. Like, they, all these little alien baby kids come out. That, that some, some schlub out of nowhere walks over. They take in, they go. So it's, it's, it's funny how this movie kind of like... I'd say dunks on Close Encounters, but it's kind of like, as spectacle as that movie was, you think about it, you go, oh yeah, we didn't learn anything about the aliens. Like, this whole movie's about, we gotta learn about the aliens. Well, I think it's also a big difference between when that movie came out, when it was written, and now. Mm-hmm. Back then, in like the 70s, it's more, if we just make a connection with the aliens, that'll be okay. That's true. And as far as like NASA's concerned, the only the easiest way to make a connection and find intelligence is like music and mathematics. But this movie is, what, 2016? More concerned concern. with not just making a connection, but we want to know exactly why they're here and we want to get something from it. Yeah. And so it that's much more complex than math. Yeah, those those conversations she has with Forrest Whitaker are great. Because it's he's the perfect layman. He's very utilitarian. Mm-hmm. It's gotta be what's the purpose of this thing? And then the, the hammer, everything's a nail. It's like he's the perfect layman for the audience. Yeah. You know, especially especially in their first conversations where they talk about like what war is. What is it? It's a he's just an argument and she says it's a it's a Oh, was it a, a, a trade of cows or something? I forgot the phrasing, but it's a need for more cows. Yeah, yeah a need for more cows. Yeah, so it's 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 clearly yeah, it's it's clearly like she's already describing firsthand how the not knowing a language is important. And I'll say because you get we didn't like you know, we haven't really talked visually, but I mean most of this film is just a white light on Amy Adams. But when we actually get to see the aliens, I think they did a great job with this glass wall and them in their own atmosphere because I think it's enough of a mental separation for you, the audience watching. You don't go like, wow, look at those giant, weird, seven-footed, like, alien there, CGI'd. I still wish they were closer to the story in that they didn't disappear up into the fog, and we'll see later they are bigger. Yeah. Because their body then becomes a little too, like, Earth-like. Okay. The screen does widen more here. In this no, but segment. we don't see them above. Yeah, we don't see them until yeah. they, we see them later when she's in with them, and their upper torso looks like a sort of humanoid alien, and then instead of limbs, they just have all these things down the bottom. Whereas they could have given them like a rounded off top, more like in the story, and then they'd be very much more alien, I think. But maybe it was hard to make that not look like just like a squid. I mean, I feel like it also made them like that. That head, I think, is something maybe. 
maybe they threw all the they they, they, they had the concept designs and then they got they just got someone like just someone unrelated to the production they were like look at all these and like what's your feeling about each one of them maybe they saw like I'm intimidated by this one because of like the, the yeah. knob head shape at the top. The way I see it is, since they drift off into the fog, is they look like two hands of something much bigger. Yes. That are down in there next to them. And that's an intriguing visual. Yeah. It's like if we found out that there's something else entirely that's up in there, and that's why the ship's so big. This, I see, I, and I've not read the story, but what's funny is that maybe about a year before this movie came out, I read it, I listened to an audiobook. It was called The Darkling Sea. It was about some like far off planet. It's in we're in the future, and like and Earth is like just we're just like I think we're like drilling. I think we're just drilling for resources on like a water planet. So it's kind of like an abyss. It's like we got people down there, and and but most of the, most of the book, like eighty percent of the book, is perspective of these squid aliens, and they're kind of like in the Iron Age equivalent of humanity, where they're like there is a there is like they have a philosophy a little bit, but they're still kind of like. They're still kind of like in, in basic structure, and eventually, like a human, they do get involved with human, and they don't have eyesight. They just work off of heat vents and touch and and sonar. And eventually, like the engineer and the alien kind of communicate through like tapping of sonar and stuff. Like he's tapping his wrench since he can't communicate and they can't. But the one of the scary scenes was is like the scientist aliens like grab another engineer and they like pull his suit apart because they're so curious what it is and they just depressure and kill the guy. Huh. And but the aliens realize they did that. They feel bad. They're like, oh god, like we just killed something. It was such a good like uh, you know just like like first contact type of book that I highly recommend. If someone's like after arrival, they kind of want to get a similar like alien human different different vibe. It's it's really a really fun fun sci fi book. That's a vibe I get watching this. Backtracking, we do get she takes off her hazmat suit. She gets her outer suit off entirely, unlike Ian. Alpha tells, says over the radio, she's walking towards the screen. Should we abort? That's when we get the line you already mentioned, Dave from Condor, saying recourse noted, stand by for, you said the subtitle said frag orders. I I just put further in my notes because I couldn't tell without the subtitles. And then Mark says, go back to your stations. And we get a nice wide shot of Louise from the front as she's walking up to the glass. We get the theater shot where it looks more like the movie theater in the screen. Mm-hmm. The techs are backing up. Louise is walking forward and Ian is still just kind of standing there in the middle as she's approaching the glass. And we get some nice side shots close up on the glass where it looks like it's a little convex. It's not a flat thing. It's got a curve to it as she gets closer to it, more like an aquarium. We get Louise bottom center dwarfed by the two heptapods. This this segment takes its time as she's walking up there. We're not sure what's going to happen. And Mark and the text back up. We get a shot of Abbott. We get Ian moving forward now. And we hear his breathing like we heard Louise's before. And then we get another theater shot from behind Ian. And Louise starts to raise her hand. And we get a nice series of shots here because she's raising her hand. And then we get a close-up on her hand as she touches the glass finally. And then we get Abbott and Louise as Abbott slams his hand against the glass which startles her at first. They made a close-up as she looks at it, a close-up of Abbott's hand against the glass. So it's, it's nice echoes of each other as they're approaching, but Abbott does it much quicker, which considering Abbott knows this whole series of events is going to lead to his death is interesting to me. I would confirm, unlike what I said last segment or segment before, this is Abbott. <laughs> I am right about which is which. And that means the second thing Costello said was something about Abbott, and we never find out what, because hmm. that symbol doesn't have a translation. But it does have Abbott's name in it. Did, did they? Is, wait, you find like the wiki where it compiled all the words? There are thirty-six symbols that they put out with what they mean. Okay, and since the name Abbott is in several, you can figure out what the name Abbott is. And there was a symbol 
the second symbol that came up had the name Abbott in it. Mm-hmm. But Costello is the one who said it. And the rest of the symbol isn't translated. So it was just Costello saying something about Abbott. Mm. I almost wish that we we had a scene of Amy Adams talking to one of the other analysts. Because obviously, like, we, I think we're all in agreement. Amy Adams, of all the scientists around the world, did the best job, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, for, for, for obvious reasons. And, and we talked about, you know, science versus language. And that also says something about the whole the Chinese plot line, whereas they played, they play, you know, for some reason, maybe their, their linguists, maybe their arts and sciences group, maybe still under that military persecution, they couldn't get their, 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 they couldn't get their thoughts through. They couldn't break through the military barrier of like, we would like to have a conversation with them. And the military is probably like, no, we don't like this. Or how does this hurt us? And they were like, what if we play Mahjong? Like, everyone knows that one. And the military is like, agreed. And maybe that's how that happened. Mm-hmm. But when the answer the answer to that question is, its beauty is that this movie is about communication. And the fact, like, our teams weren't really communicating with them. Because the CIA and the government was very hush-hush about most of the details. Yeah. Is, 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 is the point of the thing. That's why, like, Amy Adams, like, we, like, we see her talk with her team a few times. But mostly it's, like, her talking with Ian and then her talking with Whitaker. And that's really it. She doesn't really... And, she doesn't talk to any of the people at the board. Yeah, that did come up some last time when we were talking about like the political relationships with mm-hmm. the nations with each other and then just the different political and cultural. I, I was just so, thinking about that in terms of like Chinese bureaucracy means mm-hmm. maybe they don't have a Weber that's there to be like, okay, try this and allow things. And so mm-hmm. they're limited in what they can even approach. Whereas this movie likes this idea that I think was proven somewhat false last year with lockdown and COVID and everything else that we trust scientists and we'll let them do the job. Yeah. Let them get things done. Oh my goodness. Yeah. In a movie, That's we let, true. they're the hero, yeah. you know, but in reality, oof. It might be more like the Chinese. I think I think that's probably one of the reasons why I was like so happy watching this film is just because it was just like they're listening to the experts and even and then when the military and and, and when like the crazies started like we we were able to put the crazies down yeah. quickly, you know, like they they knew what was up, so they sent the security team, they handled it sadly lost an alien in the process but you know that yeah just watching this film and like feeling that we uh, uh, the science and logic and compassion did uh yeah wins you know the fact that sh- the, 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 it's like what the funny is like it's like what's the climax if somebody has what's the climax of the movie i'm like climax of this movie is about a woman through time recited a man's dying wife's words to him yes and that stopped world war three yeah it's a phone call yeah and a conversation that's the climax of the film and it's a well earned one, well in its well in the it, it, right in the Q zone of what it should be about this movie. It shouldn't it shouldn't be an action bombastic space lasers or anything? Yeah. So interesting. So science, logic, and compassion, and those are the three things that it seems have been sorely lacking. In the yes. Past. Yes. And I I'm wondering know. what type of post COVID films will be made, or if we'll address our problems if they'll get better of, yeah yeah <laughs> scientific trust logic and compassion should we should have finally watched songbird before this episode so we could compare what, what songbird songbird is the first like big budget covid movie okay it's about covid 23 and like the mutation and now everyone you're not allowed outside unless oh. you have proof that you're immune oh. and it has horrible and it, reviews ho- everyone awful. hates it yeah <laughs> I mean, okay. I've been waiting for the price to go down to watch yeah. it. Yeah, all right, because I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to that review if you watch it. But like, I saw the one with <laughs> Anne Hathaway and Chiatel Edgia for the um the the lockdown one. I think it's called the lockdown on HBO. Oh, okay, and, and it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I feel like 
I don't know. I feel like there was definitely some parts in the third act that were kind of rushed to kind of get some uh, more of a, I don't know. It, it just felt weird. It felt like they had to start writing some weird stuff for Anne Hathaway to kind of like have this all, I don't know, work toward a, a plot. Because it felt like it was a good, it, for a while, it was like a good like day in the life of. Huh. And then they were like, well, we got to have a, we got to have an edgy thing like to kind of wrap this all up. And then that's, I feel like maybe that's what it was. Like someone wrote the first two thirds of the film and then like they were like, retool the last third to something more heisty. <laughs> and that's what they got. But like I, I, I am kind of glad people on Twitter are pushing back. Like, no, we, I don't, I don't want a movie about people in the pandemic. Tell me a fictional story about people working together and solving problems. I think I, I assume some TV shows like Law and Order. I assume they're probably like maybe in in the story. Everyone's wearing their masks and like having protocols. Where I bet you so there's some shows they're filming. They're acting in a world that there isn't a, a pandemic or a mask. Probably, yeah. I know this is us included. Yeah. It. Uh, the Connors included it. Shameless included it. Well, interesting about that, Sarah said in Shameless, she brought up the point that they're wearing masks, but the actors, like the main actors and actresses themselves, are taking off their masks, like when they're in major scenes. And yeah. she was wondering, like, what impact that would have on the audience if it's like demonstrating mm, poor what mask, it looks like, yeah, yeah. behavior or <laughs> like what. I yeah, because I mean, in order to be, they're probably safe filming together because they quarantined right. and everything else, just like the finale of Supernatural got delayed so that they could figure out who could quarantine quarantine and be there mm. yeah it wasn't so much criticizing like how right, it was but being what it filmed looks like. but how the audience is viewing scenes during covid yeah. of when people yeah. are having their masks on because most of the scenes they don't have masks on but they will have them as they're walking in and out of places and then remove them uh, that's, that's weird <laughs> you walk in they walk into the place and they take the mask off no 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 no, no yeah, you keep it right. on yeah. <laughs> no the character should keep it on even more now like right exactly look, yeah we dealt with bane we dealt with two and hours of tom hardy as bane we can handle a few of our TV actors talking through a mask. We can we're, we can handle that. If you want, you could even ADR their dialogue so it's not muffled. Yeah. Just have them do the visual. Make a choice. Either they got the mask and everyone's doing it safely. The audience is like, okay, I understand. Or just be in a world where there is no COVID. Like, we need to make a choice. Mm -hmm. you, yeah, you, exactly. You half-ass it. It's going to feel weird. Now, back to the segment. Louise says, now that's a proper introduction after the hand thing. That's a good trailer line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Abbott takes his hand away and lowers it. Louise lowers her. And then we get a wider shot as Ian walks up and Louise raises the whiteboard again, says Louise. And she's looking at Abbott. She says, I am Louise. And then she says, Ian, do you want to introduce yourself? And so even though she's watching the aliens, she knows he's walked up next to her. I love that she's inspired him to be courageous and take a risk and join her there. <laughs> yeah. Partly courageous. Partly it's also... One of the themes of the movie is that, you, you know, how does he put it? We all die eventually. Or... He says, screw it, we're all going to die. Or some, some, some yeah. line like that. Yeah. I liked how they sh showed Ian watching her watching. Oh, yeah. So we also have this storyline of their relationship developing. <laughs> the, the symbol on the glass, by the way, is her name. It's Louise. Yeah. And then that dissipates in the next shot as Ian says, yeah. She writes his name on the board before she hands it to him. And Ian says, yeah, screw it. Everybody dies, right? <laughs> we get a shot of Louise looking at him. When he says that, she does look sad for a moment, <sighs> which is, is fair. But then we get a shot from behind as Ian is getting out of his suit. Costello leans forward a little. Alpha says, sir, Donnelly has taken off his hazmat suit. Permission to abort. Which, as you pointed out, Dave, might mean something really bad. Yeah. I'm very curious. So we're on what? You think, what, day four, day five since the aliens have landed? This, when the TV screen was on last segment, it was day five. So this is Saturday. 
And now this would be nighttime. When they went in, it was about 8 o'clock. So it now would be close to 10 when they leave on Saturday. The aliens arrived on Tuesday. Okay. Because, uh, I mean, like, what's so funny is that they're, you know, yeah, he says abort, but it makes it laugh is that, you know, they're, they are making communication. That's probably, like, one of the reasons why he's like, no, don't. Like, let the session continue. Like, yeah, that's why Weber says continue the session. Worst case scenario, you can abort in an hour. Yeah. It's like, it's them. It's them over there that are like, you know, you're not, you're not compromised. The, let, the, let the lab rats do their work. Yeah. Marks goes back to his camera. The other techs back up by the equipment. Cause they, they never, like, throughout the entire film, they, when they're here, they always have their suits on. It's only yeah. Ian Louise that, uh, you know, they, they realize quick and we don't need to wear our suits. Yeah. So Louise hands again the whiteboard that already says Ian. He holds it up, says Ian, pats his chest. Louise says Louise. And then she points at Abbott and says, you. And then she points at Costello and says, who are you? And we get a shot of Costello and then Louise. She looks from Costello to Abbott. And then Abbott puts its hand up, spreads fingers and writes. And I like this shot because you can see the tentacles move differently. Like you can see how it's directing the ink. Yeah, I was going to say also like this shot because prior to this, it's like we were watching this like a movie, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we were looking head on at the aliens kind of yeah, being the closer. movie screen we're not only closer we got like a split shot where we were looking at it from like a sideways angle yeah. with the aliens now that they're up by the glass yeah. we get these different shots <laughs> of combining things yeah so we're up in the action instead of just watching it yeah it's like as she gets closer and as ian approaches we're brought along mm -hmm. into the action but also it makes it more like we're not viewing it on a screen this scene kind of reminds me of like as a toddler like excited so if that's something on the television they like go up to the screen they want to like get closer you know to the point i mean i'm thinking like older when i was a kid or like other kids where it's like it's an older CRT monitor, and it's 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 hard glass that you're tapping on rather than like a liquid crystal display. Yeah. But the idea of like you know the kids so enthralled by what's on TV, they have to like go up and they have to stare at it to the point where like they could see every little like different little tube of color and and tap on the glass. Yeah, I love that. It is very much that feeling too, an emotion that's just like different. The chips watching it is that of being the kid and getting yeah. <laughs> I just know when I edit this, I'm going to want to insert the girl from Poltergeist. Yeah. No, I mean, that, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that, yeah, that, that shot is, is obviously like so influential, but that, that's the, that's the moment I'm thinking of where it's something is drawing you so powerful to the screen that you, you got to be up on it.
Abbott writes Abbott. Costello writes Costello. Louise says, I think those are their names. They have names. Which reminded me of Jurassic Park, the way she says it, when he says, like, they're moving in herds. They do move in herds. I think those are their names. They're moving in herds. They have names. They do move in herds. Realizing, oh, we're right about that. And she's like, yay, they have names. This is good. Means they have individuality. Not you, Joe Alien. They're not like the aliens in the abyss that don't. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then she's looking at Abbott when she says that. And Ian says, so what are we going to call them? As the names dissipate. And he says, I don't know. In the story, of course, we've said they call them Flapper and Raspberry. That's- oh, no. <laughs> Now, raspberry raspberry is the noise Ras- yeah. raspberry and flapper because they're named after sounds oh, okay that's right i mean that's uh, it's just objectively just it's just objectively more fun and puts a nice vibe it's a nice positive vibe yeah. onto yeah. the thing real names rather than like just sounds or something like you know we're equating these aliens to just uh sounds whatever we felt like you no know, we're we're equating them to like two influential characters of comedy yeah. which which last time we learned young people might not have a good reference for that <laughs> Oh, yeah, that is true, yeah. But still, it works. And And it's distinctly American. It is distinctly American, and their most famous bit is about communication. Yeah. Oh, gosh, Who's on first is all about misunderstanding what people say. That's, that's, God, I bet you the, I bet you the book writers are kicking themselves, because that's such a good, it is, it's such a good little, like, Abba Costello, dang it, it's so, it's so good. Oh, man. And, like, now I remember going through Blockbuster and, like, I remember, like, once my dad, like, ta- shit told me about them, I was like, they meet the mummy and the wolfman. Like, what? They do? And I was, uh-huh. like, picking those tapes up off the shelf. I was like, this is so, they're going to meet the mummy? These guys are so goofball. <laughs> and those movies are pretty good, too, because they also made them, for the time, scary. Yeah. Gosh. That, yeah, that's why I grew up, yeah, I grew up on, like, just, Abigail Stell just meet the Meet the monsters and all that. That was such, that was so good. After he says the names, we get a really nice shot of Abbott Costello backing into the fog, and Louise and Ian are standing there with he only has his suit half on. She says, "Yeah," on a close up, and then we get a reverse on Ian. He says, "Yeah," and she says, "Yeah, I like it. I like it." And Costello swims away. And then the shot has her looking at Ian now. She's excited to like be working with Ian. Yeah, there's even one of these shots is. Technically, you shouldn't do because they crossed the line, but it's okay at this point in the scene because we need to get her reaction equal to his. So they need to look at each other. Yeah, I really like this segment because we have the increased communication and bonding both with the aliens and with Mm -hmm. each other. And Ian says, wow. And we get a shot of Marks and then we cut to the trucks arriving back at the camp. One of them goes into a spray down area and I don't know why. I think that's because that's the truck that she was in. I think that's why. But it isn't. She's in the pickup that's the next one over. Oh. Because then we cut to the door and it's the other truck. Like only one truck goes in there and two others are parked. The truck that's getting sprayed is not a pickup? It looks like it's got a cab in the back. They rode in open pickups. We saw them the first time. They just sit in the back and then got out. Oh. And the two other trucks are parking in the background. So one out of three trucks is getting sprayed down. I don't know mm, what I, they did. Then I, you're right. Because I, 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 I just assumed because it was in the left closure shot that she was inside the cab, not in the back of the pickup now. Because it's like she's getting out of a door. Well, she does get out of a door this time, yeah. So maybe. Maybe that's why they sprayed that vehicle. She's in that vehicle. I mean, they would have to, that, technically, they would have to just human spray the whole inside of the thing, too, if they're going to do that. Yeah, she should be in the back to stay away from everyone else. 
Yeah, just close your eyes. We're gonna we're gonna run you through a spray right now. <laughs> and we get Condor saying, "Team one, exit your vehicle and proceed directly ahead to decontamination tent. Leave your respirator on until you reach the equipment room." As Louise gets out and kind of with her head down, walks toward the tent. We get an extra alien sound here that is like the cue for her flashback. It seems because there's a noise as there's a close up shot on the side of her. And she bends forward, breathing hard, and we cut away to the blurry horse. Yeah. And so it's like the alien cued her memory in this moment. So that's what I'm saying. Is this some? Is this all right? Because obviously we're going to find out about more of her daughter stuff later in the movie. Yeah. Is this her daughter that she's taking to see the horse, or is this her as a memory first time she ever met a horse? Walk me through this one. Well, no, because the it's it's hard to tell at the end of this second because we don't see them. Yeah. The hand is Hannah's. Who's reaching out to the horse, and then it the angle kind of changes, and you can see Louise is standing to the left. Okay. So this is her taking her daughter to a horse for some okay. whatever reason. But obviously, we the audience the first time through think this is a flashback to her as a child, first time she met a horse. Maybe, or, or her with her daughter years ago, because we assume her daughter died in the past. That's what we assume. But now she is starting to, and the indication I think from her bending forward and breathing hard might be she is realizing these memories or these thoughts I've had are real things. And she doesn't know how that's possible yet. And this blurry animal shape starts to come into view. We can tell it's a horse suddenly. And Louise off to the left says, I know. And the horse's snout is up close, but we cut away at the end of this segment. So see what goes on with the horse next time. It's funny. It is the past in a way, but also the future. The point is that yeah. past, present, future are they're interchangeable the now. Yeah. yeah, and in reality, are because time's just a social construct that humans perceive Allegedly. linearly. But that's a philosophical. <laughs> argument, I guess we could debate, but that's how I view them. Oh, the, yeah, and it'll come up on this show. But, I mean, but that's, that was one of the most interesting things about this movie. And it's one of those hard things to describe to someone when they go like, well, that doesn't make sense. You go like, well, like, take a step back and think about like, just because you are on earth and what you perceive as something doesn't mean that someone, it's it's one of those, it's, um, it's a, a great way to describe aliens and humans in a very basic way is you're on the street. Okay. You're on the street. You look down the road. You see an explosion. A window washer yells down at you. Two trucks hit each other. The guy's not smarter than you. He just has a different perspective. Yeah. And that's the best way to describe like a higher, a different intelligence or or, or an alien species. Is that, that to us, they sound like they're smart. They know what's going on. No, they just have a different perspective on it. And that's that's one of those like things you got you know, to always think about. Perspective. How, how, how to perceive things when people go like, oh, that doesn't make sense. And they just dismiss it. I think the window washer is like the perfect analogy to like, if so, if you're over to an argument with somebody about perspective, I think that's a perfect one to use. And the perspective, that whole visual of the elephant where someone's touching the trunk, someone's touching the tail, yeah. someone's mm. touching the side of the elephant and you ask them well, even, like even what they're touching and they're the all having segment, very different. <laughs> the blurry horse. I didn't remember the scene from when I watched the movie last. Mm-hmm. And for a sec, I thought it was a different shot of the alien from later. I'm like, wait, what is that? Which I think they wanted us to be like, what are we looking at? Because it comes into view at first blurry, and you can't tell it's a horse until it's clear. Because her perspective changes as well, and it's changing through the film. So, if the audience would like to hear your perspective on other things, where can they hear those, Dave? Well, if they want to hear more perspectives on 1999 superhero comedy ensembles about Ben Stiller and Greg Kinnear. I'm over at 5 Minutes of Mystery. And our Facebook group, the Champion City Lakeside Diners Club, where we talk about Smash Mouth, superhero films, and if we were able to go to a diner, what our favorite special would be. 
getting close to wrapping it up and then uh, kind of kind of closing the book on it. It's taking me a, taking me a long time, but I'm getting cl- getting close to the end. And if you want to hear my perspectives on my childhood, adolescence, social, political issues, then you can listen to Life as a Playlist and follow that show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Oh, hold on. Sorry, I got to cut you off one more time because Sean will beat me up if I don't say this. Cause, because <laughs> yeah, we're on a new episode. Yeah, because yeah, you wanted to make sure we got it out. So, yes, a Groundhog Minute that Sean and I, we wrapped up a while ago, but we did a bonus episode. Sean got to have an interview with a special guest, and he and his brother and his wife and I got to talk about it. So it's a little sp- bonus episode for Happy Groundhog Day. So go uh, listen to that over at Groundhog Minute and the next scene podcast he has with his brother. And I guess I will promote Cock and Bull Movie Talk, where lately I've been doing a bracket of my favorite films. And at the time of recording, and maybe still at the time this episode goes up, I'm talking about Stand By Me right now. And just kind of hanging out by myself talking about that movie. Yeah, that just happened. Thank you for listening. Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 5-Minute Arrival. Or go to lemmingdrops.com for links. I used to think this was the beginning of your story.